0: We so greatly appreciate your role and in that and covet your prayers. Isn't that wonderful? One more time, let's thank God for what he's doing uh, through Calvary, all around the world. We're just so grateful for that. Well, with your Bible open to Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 23, a very familiar story for those of you that have been in church for any length of time. If you're new in, in church, uh, you're going to love this. Luke chapter 18 beginning with verse, verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Look to someone beside you and say, What can I do? What can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments... Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all of these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he saith unto him, yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I pray you bless it, anoint it. Cause us, oh God, to receive your grace today, your mercy in our lives. Help us, oh God, to to stop struggling and walk by faith in what you've already provided. And we give you all the honor and the glory for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Interesting, as we shared the text message from uh, Dr. Turner, the writer of this gospel, Luke, was a physician as well. In any country, in any century, in any culture, medicine has always been a comparatively well-paying career. Uh, Anywhere you go in the world, even today, and as you go back in time... Compared to the different parts of the culture, it was a very well-paying career. And so even Dr. Luke in this passage describes the young man in Luke chapter 18, 23 in an enviable way, however. He says of this, even though he himself is a physician and has left all to follow Jesus, he sees this young man and he he says these words, he was very rich. And that's something. Look to someone beside you and say, "You're wealthy today." Maybe not in ways that some of us would would be envious of, but you're wealthy. You can. And Matthew, when he tells the story, he tells it from a different perspective because he's a tax collector. Luke's a physician, and he's talking about it from from the view of a physician who, who himself had a had a decent income and in life, as he says he was very rich, but. Matthew, the tax collector, adds, yeah, and he's so young. <laughs> Some of us are envious of those who have money. Others of us are envious of those who are young. How about that? Not too many amens on that. but. And so you, do you hear it in this passage? Luke is saying he's super rich. Matthew adds, yeah, he's, and he's also a young man. But because of their descriptions of him, you don't see this phrase in the scriptures, uh, but because of the way they described him, this story has become known among preachers and, and theologians as the rich young ruler. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. Those are the big three, by the way, the big three that everybody seems to desire and want. He has the big three. He has money, he has youth, and he has power. And influence, rich, young ruler. He's got it all, and he has it early on in life. Those are the things that some people find themselves envious of. Have you ever struggled with envy just a little? All right, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I know most of us don't wanna admit that, but even just a little. Can you identify at all with the disciples in this story who have to point out that he's rich? He's young and he's a ruler. All wrapped up in one person. It just doesn't seem right. And so he has these big three and and I identify with them. I I know I feel some of those things. We it ha- starts happening when we're young. When you're you start school, probably even preschool. There're Kids, I know that uh, you don't have to teach this to children. If you were working and helping in our nursery, you'd find out that little children can come in. They can just be crawling, just be toddlers. And uh, if there's a group of toys in the floor, they'll find something and play with it. And then they'll look over and see another child with another toy, and they'll throw theirs down like it's unimportant and go crawling over there. And then you'll hear the tug and pull back and forth. It's somehow, it's what the other person has, hallelujah, just seems so much better than ours. It's interesting when you observe that even in preschool children. And then as you grow up, you can feel it all through elementary school, all the way through high school and college. You can find yourself comparing yourself to someone else. And even though you may not say it out loud, you you might think it, thoughts like, wow, she's so pretty, slender, funny, happy. <laughs> and or, or maybe even when you get married later on in life, you say things like, her husband's so good looking. He's so sweet to her. He buys her anything she wants. I hate both of them. <laughs> or maybe you've thought, maybe you've thought, wow, I tithe in the offering, come to church every time the doors are open, and I'm struggling financially and losing my hair. While that guy doesn't even go to church and look at him. Would you just look at him? Perfect house, nice car, and a head full of hair. I don't understand it. So we feel these things. We have this happen. And then something, we suppress it. We push it aside. And when you come up in the kingdom, unfortunately, for those of us, when we give our heart to God, we still feel a lot of those things, even spiritually. We feel like I don't measure up. I'm, I'm not as good a person as they are. I, my history, my past, all that I've been through. And so we have a tendency to hide our struggles, hide our failures, disguise our mistakes, try to appear perfect when we come to the house of God, look down upon others who are struggling and maybe aren't in the same place that we are spiritually. And so you can either be looking down on someone else's lack of your perceived idea of religion and spirituality. Well, you know, if they're saved, they're barely saved. If they, if they, I know they're coming to church, but I don't think they're saved. And so we can find ourselves looking around and propping up our own spirituality by comparing ourselves to other people around us who just don't have it together like we do. And that also causes a form of legalism to come into our heart and life. Where we we don't we discount the grace of God in other lives. We look at people and feel like, well, they they can't really be saved. Surely they're not going to the same heaven I'm going to because they don't live the same. They don't dress the same. They don't look the same. They uh, they 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 still struggle with some things in their life. Oh hallelujah! How many is there anybody here besides me who could just lift your hand to heaven and say, God, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. You know, you've got to get past the comparing yourself among yourselves. It isn't wise, the Bible teaches us. And so wisdom means I come to God knowing that no matter how good or pristine you may think you are, you come to God humble and repentant and you just lay it all before him and you give yourself 100% to the grace of God. Nobody comes to the Lord and says, give me 50% grace. I'm doing pretty good. No, I need 75% or 99%. I've got about 1% of me that's all right. No, every one of us have to come to God. No matter what your record is, no matter what your past is, no matter where you came from, all of us come to God and we lay everything on the altar and we say, I need 100% of God's grace. Hallelujah. I need it over all of my life. Not a little bit. Not less compared to someone else, but I need God's grace completely. Now, let me just talk to you a little bit about this young man, this rich, young ruler. There's nothing wrong with being rich, nothing wrong with being young, nothing wrong with having authority or or position or affluence, but there's more to the story. The fact is that we learn a lot from this young man, not just the disciples' reaction to him. But we learn so much. Jesus answers the question. He came, you remember, he came with a question. What can I do? What can I do to inherit eternal life? Here is a man who was used to doing things to get things. And he had everything pretty much wrapped up in his life, had everything that he wanted. Even religiously speaking, he said, I've kept all these commandments from the time I was a kid. So as far as religion is concerned and right living and, and natural goodness, I've got that. I'm not just rich and young and powerful. I haven't just conquered that, but I've conquered religion too. I keep all the commandments I have since I was a kid. I just want to know, is there something? Is there something else I can do to have eternal life? And When Jesus looks to him, he He addresses it and answers it, but opens some things about himself, the kingdom and heaven to all of us. Can we look at that together real quickly? First, Jesus points out, you can have it all and still live in sorrow. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 23, these were his words as he walked away. The Bible says he, when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. That's a That's an oxymoron in our understanding. How do you put that in a verse? He, the Bible says, he heard this. He was very sorrowful for he was very rich. He was very sorrowful for he was very rich. He's super sad, but he's got it all. And so this scripture tells us I can have it all and still live in sorrow. Sorrow. Something happened in the mind of the rich young ruler that day. He understood that all of his efforts, all of his efforts to be good-looking, to take care of himself, to look good on the outside, all of his financial efforts and all of the money that he had, even the authority and position, all of that, even keeping all of the rules that he'd kept religiously, all of it, he had it all. It seemed like he had everything, and yet Jesus pointed out that he, he didn't have everything. He still needed the Lord. Can I tell you that you can have it all and still live in sorrow? When you come to the Lord, He's not looking at your bank account. He's not looking at your past. He's not looking at your history. He doesn't look at your age. He doesn't look at your power and influence. He doesn't look at any of those things. He sees us all the same. We stand on even ground at the foot of the cross. Everybody needs Jesus. You can have everything this world has to offer and still live in incredible sorrow. I'm reading a, a book that's been blessing my life written by uh, Billy Graham, a summary. It was uh, put together there at the end and it just, it's entitled Where I Am. And so he wanted to talk a little bit about heaven. He, for those of that would be wondering where he was. And so he talked about where I am and the importance of being ready and prepared. And as he's talking about that he gives a lot of illustrations in it of of all across the world in the past decades of his ministry nearly five decades of ministry where he had preached and ministered to so many across the world and he'd met people of power and influences and leaders of entire nations and yet he saw the sorrow in their eyes it isn't just something that that you experience because you don't have everything You don't look around and compare yourself to someone else and say, Well, I don't have what they have, and so I'm sad. No, you can have all of that. You can have everything that she has, or he has, or they have, and still be very sorry. Sorrow overwhelm you. Because nothing in this life really compares to eternity and heaven's treasures. His question was, what can I do to have eternal life? And Jesus started answering it right away. How about the religious rules? Got that. Money, wealth, youth, got all of that. You still lack something. You see, the truth is nothing in this life compares to it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, if you're going through some trials and afflictions right now, our light affliction is just for a moment. It works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at things that are seen, but at things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, the things that are unseen are eternal. What can I do to have eternity, he asks? Nothing in this life compares to heaven itself and its treasures, because no matter how great even your earthly loss or suffering, heaven is greater still. There's another beautiful passage in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. And it reads like this, it says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So I'm here to tell you, if you came in this place and your past is laden with sin and iniquity, addictions, problems, maybe you came from prison, you've done some things wrong, your life's totally upside down and you come into this meeting this morning And you look around at people, and you're assuming, well, they all look so religious. They all look so perfect. Their family looks great. Everything looks good about them. Can I tell you that every one of us have a record? Can somebody shout hallelujah? That was washed clean with the blood of Jesus. All of us, no matter who we are, we come to understand that we can have it all and still live live in sorrow. No matter what you're going through physically in your health or right now in your body or What you lack in your life, the truth is the eternal is still greater than any of the things you desire in this life. He said he wanted eternal life, but the bottom line was not more than his riches. He had everything, but he wasn't at a place he could give up anything to follow after Jesus. It teaches me that a life spent in pleasure without Jesus is really no life at all. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible tells us that You can be dead while you live. So in this life, you can have all of these things and still live a life in pleasure without Jesus, but that's not life. You're just dead while you live. You're a dead man walking. The rich young ruler eventually became the rich old ruler. Eventually, we become the rich dead ruler. All of us, no matter who we are, have to face Jesus. I'm here to tell you the odds are stacked against you. In all of eternity, only two people have bypassed death. Even Jesus went through the grave. If I were to give you the percentages today, 100% of the people in this room will die. Nobody escapes it. Nobody gets past it. Every one of us should be concerned about eternity. When I look at his life and... And his inability to follow after Jesus, the fact that eternal life, the, the life that Jesus could give him in following Jesus, the abundant life, eternal life, that he couldn't give it up because of his possessions, my heart breaks for him. It, it takes me to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, and, and I, I can't help but r- realize it's a sign of the times that we live in. Would you look with me in Second Timothy chapter 3 and allow me to read for you about three verses this know also that in the last days, Second Timothy three, one through three, perilous times shall come. See if this doesn't describe the selfish day we live in. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Incontinent simply means without self-control. Verse 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And the day we live in, we find that people are drawn to the things that life has to offer, but not realizing that eternity can, needs to be settled and can be settled, where we can have and experience a heaven to go to heaven in. That's the second thing I, I see here. You can have it all yet live in sorrow. The second thing is you can be religious, yet live in sorrow. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 21, the Bible says, Jesus says, he said, I've kept all of these things. The rich young ruler said from my youth up, I kept all the commandments. He was religious. But when you pursue religion above a relationship with Jesus, that's when we fall short. You see, it's not religion, it's relationship. It's not a denomination. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Luke 18, the next verse, in verse 22, Jesus says, So sell all you have, and then he says, Come and follow me. So the opportunity was given to him. Set aside your wealth and your riches and the things you're looking for in this life. Place me first above everything. If you really want eternal life, if you want abundant life, you've got to come and follow me. The message is the same today. It may not be preached as often as it needs to be in many of today's churches, but the truth is if you want eternity, you have to follow Jesus. You have to lay it all on the altar. No matter who you are, you have to give your life to Jesus. There is no other way other than Jesus. There's no other way. I said there's no other way than Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the door. He's the doorkeeper. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to come through Jesus Christ. And so you can you find that you can be religious and still live in sorrow. Doing nothing wrong, doing nothing wrong is still sorrowful without Jesus. Having everything is sorrowful, but doing nothing wrong, being religious, keeping all the rules is still filled with sorrow. Keeping the rules can't feel the emptiness in your soul. The rich young ruler was one of the most religious people in all of the Bible. But Jesus is telling the rich young ruler, you can't simply do nothing wrong. You've got to do something right. You have to follow me. You have to come. You have to sell out and follow after me. Nothing has to, is a higher priority than giving your life to Jesus. Hear me. Nothing is more important than following Jesus. Not your politics. Not your wealth. Not your possessions. Nothing you have. Not religion. Not our church background. Nothing. Nothing. It's more important than giving our life to Jesus and truly being a disciple of the Lord. The truth is, for you and I, we can't just follow rules. We have to follow Jesus. You're saved to serve. Blessed to be a blessing. All of that is true. But our service has to come from our relationship with Jesus. We don't get a relationship with Jesus instead of following Jesus. You can't say, I'm going to keep the rules instead of a relationship. No, your service. You can't say, I'm going to serve God and be faithful to church and tithe and do all of those things instead of having a relationship with Jesus. No, freely you receive... And freely, you've got to give. There's no bartering here. You don't offer Jesus money. Your giving and tithe isn't penance. If you give unto the Lord, you give because of your relationship with Jesus, not to get a relationship with Jesus. You don't come to church faithfully to get a relationship with Jesus. I wish somebody'd shout hallelujah. You come because you have a relationship with Jesus. You're drawn by the grace of God to the cross. And so like the rich young ruler sometimes, however, we focus on the sins we didn't commit instead of focusing on the relationship we've omitted. So what can I do? Lastly, then, you must completely trust Jesus to have life. I want you to go with me in Luke 18 again, and let's drop down to the bottom of that story because in verses 28 through 30, the disciples respond, and Peter said to Jesus, Lo, Luke eighteen twenty eight. Lo, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Question answered, What must I do to follow, to have eternal life? Jesus says to Peter here, as the whole story is wrapped up, Nobody that gives up everything. Don't don't be so concerned. You see, what was going on in that that moment is is the disciples felt sorry for this rich young ruler because of what he was asked to give up. But don't feel sorry for him for what he was asked to give up. Instead, feel sorry for what he passed up. Many of us find ourselves, instead we focus on what we might have to give up instead of focusing on an opportunity we can't pass up. It's not what I give up to follow Jesus. It's the opportunity to follow Jesus. We look at the wrong thing in this story. We look at Jesus' request of him. It's it's not the request just to give up. Don't focus on what Jesus asked him to give up to follow him. Focus on on the fact that he gave up a relationship with Jesus to hang on to the things that he had. So our focus has to be instead of on the on the fact that he why would you ask him to give anything up Jesus instead we need to say why wouldn't you give anything up to follow Jesus what must I do Jesus promises abundant life in John 10 in verse 10 he said I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly that means in this life you can have a life in Christ so full and so complete abundant life Some people think abundant life means things. I've heard it preached that way. Nice house, cars, living high. That's abundant life. But no, abundant life is Jesus, a relationship with Jesus in your life. Otherwise, if you're a poor Christian it could be argued you don't have abundant life. That's not true. Otherwise, you could be a Christian who gave his heart to the Lord in in Rwanda during this week where prescriptions were being filled and medical services were being rendered to people who didn't have, to people who'd never met Jesus, to people who had nothing. And these physicians went in there and pharmacists and they went in and took care of those medical needs and ministered to them and Hallelujah. 700 of them gave their heart to Jesus. They went back to the same village. They went back to the same hut. They went back to the same place, but they had abundant life. Don't you ever think that an abundant life is the things you possess. Otherwise, it nullifies 90% of Christianity. That across this globe, can somebody shout hallelujah, don't have what you have right here in America. The poorest of us are better off than many of most of the world. And so you need to rise up in your heart and understand that the abundant life, I can have it no matter what I have in the natural. My wife and I, we traveled and I know you hear some of the stories from Pastor Robbie. I'm glad he saves most of those stories for when I'm not here but he he talks about how tough times were or when we lived in our car and traveled as evangelists or how we prayed groceries in and those kind of things but to this day some of the best memories that my wife and I have in our love relationship that's lasted 41 years now some of our best memories are in those lean times when we joined hands and we prayed for groceries, when we asked God to lead us and guide us and open doors for our ministry, when we traveled as evangelists, when my kids were getting up on the platform in little churches all across the, the country and they'd get up on the platform and my kids would sing. Can you imagine Pastor Robbie at six years old in front of a congregation of a thousand people singing on the day of... when Of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out six years old standing up there with a microphone by himself singing to a soundtrack Oh, no, those were good memories. We didn't have stuff. We didn't have things, but we followed Jesus Can somebody shout hallelujah your best memories aren't built around the things you possess? Can we stand to our feet together? We're going to pray What must I do? Pastor Rob has included in the vision this portion of Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. And he talks about what God has done. I said, it is uh, my last point to you, was that you must completely trust Jesus to have life. The children of Israel were in Egypt in bondage. And it became a type of what it's like to be in sin pharaoh like satan who had us bound in slavery and then they're released and they go through the red sea as a type of water baptism they come out to the other side toward the promised land all of that is a type of our christian walk and so as they are as as jesus is as god is touched with their burden in their heart we see what he requires of us in this old testament story the lord is speaking to moses And he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, Exodus 3 and 7, which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. (laughs) I am come down to deliver them. Somebody say, I am come down. To deliver them. That word means to save. To save them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up. Everybody say, bring them up and bring them out out of that land unto a good land see that's the promise of God so here's what he's done he says I have seen you God says I have heard you I know you and so I have come down to save and deliver you and bring you out aren't you glad that God knows you sees you understands you cares about you, heard your cries, hallelujah, and he came down. You don't have to, like most religions, we're not climbing a ladder trying to get to God. No, God came down the ladder to us, robed himself in flesh, died for us so that we could receive him. Can we bow our heads in prayer together? Father, help us. Like the disciples, we have a tendency to be envious and compare ourselves to others. Help us not to feel sorry for the rich young ruler because of what he was asked to give up. But help us instead understand what he passed up. The rich young ruler passed up on a three-year journey, being mentored side by side with the Son of God. (laughs) Today, Lord, I ask that you'll touch hearts to choose to follow you. And as we simply follow you, we will discover life, abundant life, in this life, an everlasting life throughout eternity. Today while heads are bowed and no one's looking around, I just want to ask this question. The young man asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life today? You can have eternal life. If you're wondering, what can I do? The answer is the same. It's simply follow Jesus. Don't worry about keeping the rules. Don't worry about your past. Don't worry about your sins and mistakes. Don't let your own works hinder you at all. Instead, come to Jesus as you are and trust the Lamb of God and begin to follow Him. Give Him your life, no matter how messed up your life is. And in exchange, He'll give you His abundant life and eternal life. Right now, while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. I just wonder if there are any in this first service that you would slip your hand up before. I won't embarrass you, but you'd slip your hand up before we leave and just say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I know He loves me today. I want abundant life and eternal life. I see your hand. Someone else. God bless you. Is there another? I see that hand. I see a young man. God bless you. Is there another? Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm sure I didn't see every hand, but there, there were two who slip their hand up to receive Christ today. And I wonder, if you, would you mind praying with them and with me as we ask God to touch their lives even now? Would you do that? Everybody out loud. Mighty God, I love you. I know you love me. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I love you. Thank you for loving me. Today... I choose to follow you and give you the rest of my life. Can we put our hands together and praise God for that? Come on. Can we thank God for it?